Welcome to Strong Not Starving, my name is Marcus Kane, and if you want to beat binge eating and create a rewarding dynamic with food, exercise and self-image, you're in the right place. Today we've got one of my favorite people in the whole world, Dr. Nina Savelle Rockland, here to chat with us about how to identify bad therapists and bad coaches. Now this is such a like such an important topic because not a week goes by where someone doesn't come to me for a session or come to me uh, asking questions and telling me about an experience that they've had with coaches or therapists that has just been for lack of a better way to put it, fucking horrible. Now, just in case you haven't met Dr. Nina through one of my previous episodes or her radio show, she is the author of The Binge Cure, Seven Steps to Outsmart Emotional Eating, and also this year has released The Binge Cure Journal, which is a guide to liberating yourself from emotional eating while taking control of your life and feeling good in your body. I will put links to those two amazing resources in the episode description. So buckle up and enjoy this episode. It's literally one of my favorite conversations that I've ever had recording this podcast. It is so good to be here as always. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. There's something that we're going to dive into today. Might ruffle a few feathers. The whole concept of bad coaches and therapists. So obviously we do a great job, but that <laughs> we do a great job <laughs> but that does not mean that there aren't bad therapists and bad coaches out there who are just doing a terrible job i know some of them overcharge a lot to do nothing great i'm wondering what your thoughts are on that maybe how to maybe some of your experiences with either bad coaches or bad therapists how we might recognize them Oh, I have so much to say on this topic, Marcus. All right, let's do it. So much to say. Let me just start by the fact that my first experience with therapy was so horrible, so horrendous, so terrible, so traumatizing that it is just a miracle that I later went back to therapy and became a therapist. It's unbelievable. So here's what's happened. Here, this is an example of a very bad therapist. Okay. So I'm like. I think I was 14 years old and I had uh, I had what my parents call called a bad attitude. What that means is that I was a typical teenager. I did not agree with everything they said. I did not want to do everything they told me to do. So I had a bad attitude. Ergo, they sent me to therapy. So I go to therapy. I, I go in to the, 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 the office of this guy. And he was, I don't know, trying to channel Freud or something. And he had like, this is Northern California. And he had like wood paneled walls and a, like an almost Victorian desk and green carpet. And oh, I remember all of it. And he was like, I don't know, maybe 30 years old looking back, but he had like the beard and he had an arrogant attitude. And I go in. And, 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 and he's sitting behind, first of all, he's sitting behind a desk. We're not sitting like, you know, face to face. I'm not on a couch. I'm, I'm sitting on one end of his very large Victorian desk. So immediately there's a message there, right? And he looks at me, strokes his beard in what I can only imagine he thought was a Freudian manner and says to me, your parents tell me you're a very disturbed young lady. <laughs> Oh. 
So first of all, <laughs> any therapist who starts with, <laughs> I have de I've decided who I've, I've talked to somebody else and therefore I'm starting with this like co confrontational attitude that was so disparaging. And so, so can I swear on this? Oh, I, fuck I, you. Right, so, yeah, please. Yeah, all right. So he looks at me, he strokes his beard. He says, your, your parents tell me you're a very disturbed young lady. So I said, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> to which he looked at me and said, what? And I said, fuck you. And he said, and this, this, this killed me. He said, you're going to have trouble with men one day, young lady. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> to which I said a third F you and then I said I'm out of here and I oh. left I was in there for I don't know maybe five minutes if that and I waited for my parents to pick me up and I said therapy is stupid I am never going back to therapy again don't ever try to get me to go to therapy I'm not going it's terrible what a waste and F you by the way Oh, no, I, I I said that last part just for dramatic emphasis. I didn't actually tell them to F off. I just maybe did in my head. Anyway, so uh, this was my first experience with therapy. I'm so, so glad. Is, I'm so glad you actually told the therapist to fuck off. Like, I'm so glad that those words actually came out of your mouth. Or oh, fuck yeah. you or whatever it was. Like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. It was it was fuck you. Oh. How dare you? So what did he do wrong besides everything? First of all, um, if, if the way I talk, the way I think of therapy, this is my attitude of therapy. And I compare it to um, what Michelangelo was once asked. And he was once asked, Michelangelo, how do you turn these great blocks of stone into statues? And he said, I do not turn the stone into statues. I free the statues from the stone. And I love that as a way of thinking about uh, psychotherapy because that is what we do. We chip away at what is keeping you stuck so that you can be your truest, most authentic self in the mm. world. And we can only do that in a, in, in, like, not as, yes, I am Dr. Nina, but I'm not like, oh, I'm the doctor and you're the, the lowly patient, which is what that guy made me feel like. Um, you can only do it in a really collaborative way. Therapy should be collaborative because I may be a psychoanalyst specializing in eating disorders and I may know a lot about how to treat eating disorders, but you, the, the, my client, my patient, whoever, you know a lot about your life. You're an expert in your own life. And so I can't do this without you. You can't do this without me. It's a collaboration. Mm -hmm. And so any one who takes the stance of, I know who you are. I know what to do. I know anyone who takes that attitude right away of, I know without bothering to get to know you, that is a problem. Oh, what an amazing red flag to be able to look out for. I also hear from a lot of people who come to me and they say, I've been, you know, I've been a, you know, 10 other therapists. I've been to coaches. I've tried this. I've tried that. So I've heard a lot 
of what other people are being are are telling people that is just horrifying to me. Mm. I also have a friend who just had an experience with a coach that is not to be believed. I can get to that later. Mm. But I would say that the first thing, someone who takes that stance of, I know, I know who you are, what to do with you and all of that without talking to you and getting to know you first. What I hear a lot for people in the eating disorder, coaching and therapy world is way too much focus on the behaviors without understanding where they come from. So recently someone just messaged me in Facebook. She's like, yeah, I see a coach for binge eating disorder and she has me on macros. And I'm like, yeah, your eyebrows just went up. <laughs> My mouth. So wait, 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 what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I hear this so much. My coach has me on like on a diet, basically counting macros. Oh. Well, a binge eating, someone who's specializing in binge eating disorder should not be telling you to count macros. It's not about food. It's not what you are eating that is the problem with binge eating disorder. It is why. Mm. So if someone is out there telling you, like focusing on food behaviors, addressing weight, things like that, that is a red flag. There's something I'd love to ask you about that. Because one of the experiences that led me to leave therapy was this whole thing of, I felt like the experience was like talking for an hour a week to someone every week for like a year or more and never getting one single piece of actionable insight. And I very much got to a point with a few different therapists, like three, in fact, where they would take me through all the questions and they would understand my, my background. And, and to the point where I was like, look, I have a very thorough understanding at this point of why I am the way I am and why I feel the things that I feel and why I think the way that I think, you know, thank you dearly for the insight. Those aren't conclusions that I would have come to completely on my own. So again, thank you for the insight but what the fuck do I do now? And that would usually be about the time when they'd be like, well, that's about all the time we have for this week. Oh. I'll see you. Did, so, did anyone ever actually say that? That's about all the time we have? Ooh, pretty pretty much. It's like, well, we're going to have to wrap, we're gonna have to wrap this up right about now. Oh. Um, and I'll be like, okay, but what do I do? And they were just crickets, tumbleweeds yes. and crickets. And this is partly... This is this is partly why I I I became a psychoanalytic coach because yes I'm a psychoanalyst and yes I do treat people sometimes for years you know multiple times a week but it is it it's not just to regurgitate everything you talk about it's it's a you have to be able to take what you know about the past and apply it apply it to the present and why I became a coach was I really wanted to do help people in a in a in a quick way really understand how their past has affected their present and how that relates to food and the missing piece is usually like if you talk about well my 
you know, my father was critical. My father was so critical. You can talk about that for a year. It's not going to help you. You have to go like, okay, yes, my father was critical. And oh, look how I've become critical to myself. And whereas he once told me, you're never going to, why Why aren't you doing better? Now I tell myself, why aren't I doing better? I'm never going to be good enough. And then I feel so bad, I'm turning to food. So what do you have to do first? Yes, you have to have the insight. That is the first step to change. Then you, someone has to be able to say to you, hey, uh, this happened in the past. This is how it's affecting you in the present in your relationship with yourself and other people. Maybe because your father was critical, you don't trust other people. And so you have a false front in the world. And so you don't really get close to other people. And now you're empty or lonely. And guess what? Food can symbolically fill that void. So someone has to bridge the gap between the past to your relationship with yourself and other people and your expectations of the future and what's going on with food. So how do you change? How do you recognize when you're being your father to yourself when it just sounds like you? Mm-hmm. That's the work to be done. And this idea of just talk and talk and talk and talk without some guidance and some, you know, bridging the, the gaps, <laughs> um, it gets you nowhere. And that's why people are like, whoa. Therapy is such a crock. Like you just talk. If I want to, you know, they they don't, and and especially the sort of Rogerian, um, that's a a mode of therapy from the seventies in which people just kind of like, they just like, they just have people talk and they don't give any feedback and you're just supposed to figure it out by yourself, I guess. Why do you need to pay them? I'm not sure. No, you need, so someone, so someone who is just listening to you and maybe making some cogent points about what happened in the past it is not it's not enough if you are in therapy for an eating disorder or really anything that's troubling you you need to have someone who's explaining how does your past affect your present and how does that in turn affect your symptoms and what do you do differently what are some ways of thinking differently what are some ways of challenging your thinking and with us, at least with a psychoanalytically oriented therapist, you know, how, how is it showing up in the room? So if you have a critical father, now are you thinking that I'm critical of you, which often happens, Mm -hmm. right? Transference. And to be able to talk about that and say, well, this is good. You think I'm critical? Uh, You know, you're re-experiencing your father with me. So that gives us an opportunity to work it through and that gives someone a different experience, mm-hmm. which, which you know, you need a lot of training to be able to deal with things like transference and projection and all of these things. So be sure that if you're in treatment for an eating disorder, that you have someone who has a lot of experience specifically in eating disorders and in some kind of like, you know, and is and is licensed or certified as a therapist or as a coach. And if they're certified as a coach, make sure they didn't get that certification based on two hour what you know class on a website. Yes. I would love to talk about the coaching qualifications that get pulled out of cereal boxes. I would love to talk about that. 
this let's talk per- about that. perfect segue please tell me about some things you've witnessed in terms of red flags to look out for with coaches because there's this whole coaching culture that has appeared especially over the last few years where i feel like coaching is marketed by very opportunistic money grabbing pricks as something that oh come and get certified with us over a weekend become a life coach or become a whatever coach that you want you'll be able to work from your laptop in fucking thailand and then you know as someone who's been a coach and a trainer you know nutrition coach trainer and you're like upskilling constantly in all these different areas for 15 years at this point i have such resentment for modern coaching culture but i would love you to get the ball rolling there what what has your experience been well i i decided to be a, become a coach because i wanted to as as a licensed clinician, I can only treat people in California. And I do that as a, as a therapist. But I wanted to create a coaching program using, you know, a very specific coaching program using my books, my knowledge, worksheets, like very action-oriented, actionable stuff to do. And I, but I wanted to become a coach in a legitimate way. So I started doing research and I saw things like, you know, two hour, you know, two hour coaching certification program, um, you know, four hour coaching certification program. And yes, Marcus, that look on your face of, oh, <laughs> it makes, makes me so sad. It, <laughs> and and it, it's so appalling um, because people out there don't know the difference. So I decided to go to get my certification um, from a, an, an IFC certified place, which is, you know, International Federation Coaches. Um, I went for an entire like week immersive. I went to a place called Life Purpose Institute. We had people from all over the country, all over the world, actually. Someone came from the Middle East to come to this program. And it was a, a, a very intense, immersive, daily, like learning practicing all of these things for a week. But then it was monthly meetings. It was six months of having to get hours as a coach, hours of, of, of practice. Um, you had to pass an exam. Um, you had to pass an oral exam. So it was pretty, it was pretty intensive and it really taught you a lot. And by the time that six months was over, you'd had many, many hours of coaching. You had people, you had supervision, had people, because my problem was I kept wanting to be a therapist. So I had to learn how to be a coach. Right. Um, But, you know, it, and it was hard. So that is something that, that is really necessary to become certified as a coach. Make sure your coach has certification and has the the proper credentials, pretty much anyone can take a course for two hours and call themselves a coach. And when we're talking about like there's so there's life coaching, but then there's health coaching, there's wellness coaching, there's coaching for binge eating disorder. It really scares me and appalls me to see people calling themselves coaches for binge eating disorder, helping people who are vulnerable, 
desperate, who are putting their trust and their faith in these coaches who have no business treating people Mm. because their only qualification is they're a coach and they struggle with binge eating disorder themselves. No, Mm. that does not qualify you to become a coach. There are absolutely some coaches who help with binge eating disorder or eating disorders, but they need to know, they need to be really, really they, like you, they need to know what they are doing. They need to invest in time, energy. They need to get that educated. Those are the people that are coaches. Mm. The thing that I would want people to know most about the work that I do is that I'm a eating disorder informed nutrition coach. That is a nutrition big coach is different. Yeah, very big, like huge difference between someone who is say eating disorder informed and works with people in the nutrition, wellness, fitness space while also being eating disorder informed that there is such a difference between say a job that I do and then like therapy or the people who do particularly well with me are the ones who've been to therapy They've put in the time, they've put in the work, and now they're kind of like, okay, I'm kind of out of the woods, but I I don't quite know how to integrate back into, you know, really great practices with nutrition, really great practices with fitness and wellness and all that kind of stuff without kind of catapulting myself back down some kind of disordered eating or eating disorder like rabbit hole. I think like that's a, a really helpful clarification to make. Yes. Thank you for that. Because I would never send someone to a, just a basic dietitian who struggles with binge eating disorder, because it's, it's not going to be helpful. Someone mm. who knows the very specific and intricate um, complexities of struggling with food when you've had eating disorders, that's a, a whole different ballgame. So thank you mm. for allowing me to clarify that when I'm talking about co- binge, when I'm, when I'm saying someone with binge eating disorder should not go to a coach to overcome binge eating disorder. They could go to a coach to deal with the, the, the food aspect of it. Yes. But not the psychological aspect of it. And if you're, if you're, if you're trying to overcome binge eating disorder, for God's sake, do not see anybody who tells you what to eat. Yeah. or tells you what not to eat or talks about diet or food or weight or any of those things as think, as a goal. I think this is one of the most damaging things that's happening at the moment in terms of um, this weird emergence of what I keep calling coaching culture. Like there are a lot of these people who are almost like half-baked Instagram unqualified therapists they read The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. And all of a sudden, because they read that book, they think they can essentially do the same job as a therapist. But it's it's one, it's like if we look at it on a Venn diagram, there is some overlap between coaching and therapy. But the current climate of things has blurred that line so much that I don't, that most people don't know exactly what the definitions are, who they should go to for what. And it's not helped by the fact that there are a lot of therapists who aren't doing a good job and also a lot of coaches who aren't doing a good job. 
Yes, exactly. To your point of that example, a friend of mine who is a highly educated, you know, Harvard grad, Columbia PhD, super smart, highly educated, went to a, a, a coach for who, who's a big kind of Reddit guru is how he describes it. And look, and right. I I won't, I won't say who, who his name is, but he's this, this like this, like, you know, men's coaching guru type person. Um, and, and my friend like had a trauma of being, of being rejected by his father. So what happens is the first time that my friend, um, challenges this coach, this coach tells him that he doesn't have the capacity to process what, what he, the coach might, might tell him. He's like, you know, you frankly, and, and then he starts spouting a bunch of like, you're projecting this and you're this and that. And he's using all of these psychoanalytic terms completely incorrectly. And then doesn't then disappears for three weeks. So he punishes my friend for daring to question him about something or push back on something. And remember, coaching and and therapy should be collaborative, not Mm. I am God and I'm telling you how it is. So the first time my friend challenged him, this guy like, like absolutely tried to humiliate him and then disappeared on him for three weeks, wouldn't return calls, didn't show up, anything like that, totally repeated his trauma while while spouting a lot of psychobabble. And he also said that, uh, oh yeah, he said my friend was, that he was like projecting into him without a shred of self-awareness. Basically everything he told my friend was about him, talk about projection, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, so my friend who is extremely uh, like, like intelligent, accomplished, all of these things, he calls me and he's like, does this sound right to you? Because I'm like, no, it sounds wrong on every level. And I think you need to report this person, um, you know, and get your money back at the very least. Really? Yes. And here's why. Because people don't know when they're getting poor treatment. Mm. Um, And so I am here to say, that if your therapist or coach makes you feel bad, makes you feel bad about yourself, humiliates you, demeans you, does an enactment with you like this guy did with my friend of disappearing for, th- for three weeks, things like that, that is unprofessional. It's unethical. It may even be, you know, parts of it be illegal. You shouldn't hold yourself. You shouldn't be talking about transference and projection and all of that if you're a coach. Mm. You know, we shouldn't even be talking about it unless you're a, a, a psychodynamically informed psychoanalytic or or depth depth psychology. Because the only way to really know how to use that properly is with certain kind of training that not all therapists have. So, you know, if if your therapist, if your coach makes you feel stupid, makes you feel bad, then that's, that is not okay. I've almost forgot that we're recording a podcast right now and we're just kind of hanging out and talking. And it's just like, it it just blows me away the, 
how we got to this point where no one seems to be exactly sure of what coaching is. Therapy is being spoken down about and there's all these stigmas around therapy and all because I don't know. I, I feel like people are getting into these professions for the wrong reasons, using them as vehicles to throw their own baggage around. Or in the case of coaches, like, like I mentioned, people getting into coaching because they think, Oh, I want to be able to just talk about stuff that I, that I know, you know, like, Oh, a friend came to me the other week and I gave them advice on, you know, this or that. I, that means I, I'd be a great coach. No, no, you fucking wouldn't. That is not what coaching is. And, and, oh, you bring up a really good point, which is advice. Mm. That's not what therapists don't give advice. Coaches don't give advice. Mm. They give, we might give guidance, Mm. right? But we don't tell, we don't tell people what to do because people need to figure out themselves what to do. We might say, Hey, I want you I want you to every time you say to yourself, you you know, you're a piece of shit in the mirror. I want you to change that to try to change it to I'm a piece of shit. Change the second person to first person, because I want you to recognize when you are using your dad's voice against you. And it's really hard to say I'm a piece of shit. It's easier to say you're a piece of shit. So let's try that. That is not advice. That's guidance. That's how do you do that? But I would never say, hey, you have to you know, only eat this or don't mm. date that person. Or I might say, hmm, so this person doesn't show up for you. This person only talks about themselves. This person, uh, it, it, you know, really isn't available. And when you are available, doesn't make you feel good. I wonder what it is that's keeping you locked into this relationship. Let's look at that. Mm. I would never say you shouldn't date that asshole that person's not good for you <laughs> like let's look at why you're dating that asshole so like if someone's giving you advice like life advice that's not coaching and that's not therapy so as we're wrapping this up if someone is looking for a coach or looking for a therapist what do you think the first like green flags are, green lights are? What do you think uh, are things that you can spot right away about a good therapist or a good coach that might make you feel a bit more confident in reaching out to that person or talking with that person? Credentials. Are they licensed or are they certified? And if they are certified, where is that certification from? If that certification is not something that's aligned with the IFC, then that person might not have gotten a real uh, international federation of coaching. Um, then that person may not have gotten a, a, a really good foundation in, in learning and education as a coach. How much experience do they have? If they're a ther if they're if if they're a therapist, are they are they licensed? And if and by the way, if so, make sure you're not seeing someone who says, I treat, I treat depression and anxiety and relationship issues and eating disorders and this and that. No. If you're seeing someone who's an eating disorder specialist specifically, that should be their specialty. I know this episode's going to piss off some people. I really, really do. If someone's watching this right now and just like fuming, any advice for that person? 
<laughs> why are you so angry? I mean, is is there something about this that this truth that we're speaking that you find offensive? If so, why? What problem do you have with with us saying that a competent, skilled therapist should be credentialed properly and should have a background, especially we're talking about eating disorders, binge eating disorder, bulimia, not anorexia. Anorexia, please only see a therapist. Um, yeah. and that, that's yeah. a good thing to clarify as well, that I think why it's so difficult to find the right help sometimes, like let alone sorting out maybe a good therapist or good coach from someone who's not so great. There are different approaches for, say, binge eating and even bulimia than there are for anorexia, for example. When I started upskilling to be able to um, guide people more effectively who've ex- who have experienced binge eating disorder, one of the first things that I found out was, or, yeah, one of the first things that really surprised me and that I, I really found out, and it was a big wake-up call for me, was that a lot of the things that I would coach as someone who was officially informed and upskilled in, now I'm overcompensating. Everything that I say, I'm like, I'm certified, I'm certified. I'm certified. <laughs> so, <laughs> but one of the... um. One of the first things that I kind of found out was that the approach to navigating the path out of binge eating disorder, some of the things involved in that can be very triggering for someone who struggled with anorexia. At first, when I started looking into this kind of stuff and educating myself, I believed that I should be able to help everybody. I believe that, right... If anyone's experienced an eating disorder of any description, I should be able to help them to some degree. And I was putting that on myself, that expectation on myself. And one of the best things that I ever did for myself and my clients was to say, actually, I can't help everybody. My skill set is for this particular area. And that really surprised me in in at, at first when I first started realizing that. And I, I think, you know, that's just another thing that is swept under the rug a lot. These different things need different approaches. And good for you for recognizing that. Because uh, otherwise it it's like, it becomes like this, like, it almost becomes hubris. Like, oh, I can help anyone rather than, no, I have to know the people I can help. And I'm going to help them so well, <laughs> but yeah. there are other people that, that I can't help and I'm going to send them to the people who can help them. And, and it takes a lot of strength of like ego strength to be able to say, Hmm, you know what? I, I can only do what I can do and I'll do it really well, mm. but I know my limitations. Like that takes, a, to me, that takes a lot of strength to be able to recognize that. Uh, but, but just to answer your question of t- the person that's pissed off, Yeah. Why are you pissed off when what we are saying is someone who's seeking help, who's desperate, who who needs the proper guidance? What we are saying is they need guidance from people who are educated, credentialed and experienced. Mm -hmm. And if you have a problem with that, maybe you're not as educated, credentialed or experienced as you ought to be. And that's why you're having a reaction to this. So get more educated, get more credentialed. And that will help you get more experience. And then you can help people more effectively because guess what? This is about helping people who are struggling. It is not about you. There you have it. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. Where's the stop record button? Because holy shit, <laughs> the internet is going to explode. All right, everybody. We'll see you soon. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. My new course, Identify Your Binge Triggers and Take Preemptive Action, is available for this month, November 2023, for 20 British pounds, about 25 US dollars. And there is a link for that in the episode description. I know this time of year, it's really easy to say, fuck it, I'll sort it out in January or February, because I know, especially for you guys over in the States, there's like Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and then the Super Bowl, all kind of packed in to like a few months. But I promise you, if you get a handle on what's happening in your life with food, if you feel confident around food, if you know that you're not going to walk into situations and end up binging, I 100% promise that all these special occasions are going to be so much more enjoyable. So don't wait until until January or February. Get on it right now. Make sure that the silly season and the holiday season is really enjoyable. Free from stress and bullshit surrounding food and guilt and anxiety. My name's Marcus Kane. This was Strong Not Starving, and I'll see you next week.